Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host from SportstalkFlorida.com. Joining me, of course, is the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. We have a very special guest, and that is Bill Rasmussen. Bill, as uh, if you don't know who he is, then shame on you. On September 7th of 1979, he launched the world's first 24-hour Network dedicated to sports. You now know it as ESPN. Back in those days, it wasn't well known, and there were many skeptics. And Bill, here you are today with a network that you've started that's now in more than 200 countries with over 100 million television households in the United States. And without question, it's nicknamed, and rightfully so, the worldwide leader in by the way, on a personal note, I got to thank you because you gave a lot of young people, myself included, people like Chris Berman, Bill. Um, I was going to say Bill Fitz, but he wasn't young at the time. Um, no. <laughs> and uh, and uh, a number of people that are t- too numerous to mention, a really wonderful start. And uh, we thank you. And uh, and I know that everybody who watches sports, thanks. Oh. It was it was an interesting uh, time in my life certainly and uh, and one of the things that I, uh, people have commented to me just as you said the number of jobs that people have been able to enjoy doing what they love you know if you if you love sports and and you get a chance to work in sports and I understand now the numbers the thousands of interns that apply every month just to have the possible possibly have an opportunity to go and spend some time. Learning from what has been, you know, I guess everyone concedes it's it's a wonderful work experience and it's an amazing, amazing company. I can tell you that from, you know, I still know a lot of people. I still get to Bristol frequently, and uh, it's it's done some amazing things. Iron Joe, Bill, uh, uh, Bill, talk about um, talk about the early days, Bill, uh, in '79. Uh, when it was just going up on the air, uh, Bill, everybody was telling you you're, you're nuts. Um, did you ever lose confidence? And, and uh, what, what's one of the stories from that first year that, that you'll never forget in terms of, uh, you know, if, oh, if, something could go wrong, if something could go wrong, it went wrong? Oh, yeah, we had a lot of those. And to answer the first part of that question, of course, the ent- it was <clears throat> it was universal. No one thought it would work. Everyone said, you get, "You're going to do what?" It, no way. And I remember going around and visiting major investors, and one in particular was the Taft Broadcasting Company. I, you may remember that they were based yep. in Cincinnati. A very respectful, respectable, and respectful group of people, and they actually had uh, me attend a board of directors meeting to make a pitch about. What it was, we were looking for dollars to invest, what we were going to do with them, and so on. And they very politely listened, and we had a delightful lunch, and everyone was a gentleman. And on the way out, the chairman himself walked me out the front door and said, you know, you're a nice young man. And he kind of figuratively patted me on the head and said, you're a nice young man, but I have to tell you, this idea will never work. And furthermore, cable television will be dead in three years. So that I, I thought those words of wisdom, and and, uh, and and I wasn't just the brash young man. I just believed so passionately. I walked away from that saying he's wrong. 
I mean, they, they just missed an opportunity, and we did that. Uh, that basically was my attitude, and it still is to this day. If you have a great product and a great idea and somebody doesn't see it, well, it's that person or that company that has missed an opportunity. It's not my fault. I'm going to go to the next one. And it, obviously, we eventually got to Getty after seven visits, and Getty Oil became our uh, financing partner. And and as they say, the rest is history. It was uh, fraught with some interesting things. Opening night, for example, we had uh, uh, Anheuser-Busch was our only sponsor, was our major sponsor. And part of the deal was exclusivity, and they got mentions every hour we were on the air, and they got a 30-second spot every hour or so. I'd have forgotten all the details, but it was, I mean, it was Budweiser, Budweiser, Budweiser. We went to our first live event at 7.30, and it was the Slow Pitch uh, Softball World Series from Louisville, Kentucky, and we were so pleased to, you know, to, now we're going to go to our first live event, and here's, I forgot the name of the announcer, in Louisville, Kentucky, and he came on and said, good evening, you know, from Louisville, da 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 Tonight featuring the first game of the World Series between the Kentucky Bourbons and the Milwaukee Slits, brought to you by Budweiser. <laughs> and and standing next to me was the advertising vice president from Darcy McManus, who represented Budweiser. And he, I've always I've always had an interesting reaction whenever I tell that story. I really wish I'd been a little faster on my feet. I was pretty quick in those days, but. I should have said to him when he said, I thought we bought an exclusive. I should have said, you should have had a better a better softball team, but I wasn't that, I wasn't that quick. But there were, there were just numerous stories. Uh, we were on what was called a preemptible transponder. Of course, the technology today is so much more sophisticated than it was then. And I was walking through Logan in Boston, going somewhere just a couple of weeks after we were on the air. And I heard my name page. I never had my name page in an airport. I had never had it done before or since. And I figured I've been looking around to see who's, you know, who's the prankster. Turns out that uh, there was a military emergency on one of the military transponders, and ours was next in line to be preempted, and they took it for a few hours. But before Sports Center came on the air that night, we were we had it back. That it didn't disrupt anything really, but it certainly disrupted my stomach and nervous system for a while <laughs> wondering if we we're going to get you know we could have been gone for a month but instead it was only a couple of hours uh, you know, bill wasn't that college football game where he ended up showing the showing the fourth quarter before the first quarter oh yeah well no it was the fourth and the third we, we got through the half all right and then uh we used to put one quarter on uh we had cassette tape cassettes and each each tape cassette contained only one quarter. It wasn't like today where you can put the thing, you know, what you can put on a on a stick and stick it in your computer. And and whoever was working that night picked up the fourth quarter after the halftime and put it on. You know, it was one of those, oh, my goodness, moments. And then uh, he figured, well, he's got to fill the time. So when the fourth quarter tape ended, he put on the third quarter and played it out until, you know, to get us up to the next program. But here's the intriguing thing about that. The phone didn't even ring. I guess we didn't have too many people watching. You you know, Bill, one of the things that was so much fun about the early days, and people, you know, people take for granted now that you can turn on television and, and get ESPN without any problem. When we would be doing remotes 
you know, uh, it wasn't an uncommon thing to be asked to go out to meet with the local cable companies to try to get them to put, you know, ESPN on. Oh, absolutely. you know, we would go out prior to a, you know, doing a game, and sit down. And most of these cable companies were not in, you know, these luxurious buildings that they are today. They were used to be out at what they called the head ends, and you would yeah. have to drive for miles to figure out where they were. And more often than not, they were out in the middle of nowhere. And you would get out there and you'd sit down with, you know, Mr. Jones or Miss Smith or whomever. And you'd say, well, you look, you know, come on out tonight, watch the basketball game, watch whatever it is we're doing. And and you'll see that, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to get excited. But the one thing I think that was the funniest thing from my standpoint was we were doing a basketball game one, one night. And we used to get these tubes sent to us once a week with uh, ESPN banners from Bill Fitz, yep. who was the head of production at the time. And Bill used to say, by God, if those banners, if you, if any, if that banner, if it, you lose one of those banners, by, you know, I'm going to kill you. And one day, you know, we used to put an associate producer's job, whose only job was to run out and put the banner up, but run back and make sure they got it. And one night we had a situation where somebody took the banner and we didn't get it. And so... Yeah. I'll never forget Jim Simpson saying to me when I was concerned what how Bill Fitz was going to react. He goes, you know, Jim? And I said, what's that? And he says, we finally made it. Somebody cared enough about the network to steal our banner. I was just going to say, that that became, and I don't know if you remember uh, back, I, it was sometime in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the small, what we would, what were they called? And it would be a division, not division two, but uh, the Illinois State, for example, football sure. team, which was whatever, what it was. One, one double A, probably. One double A, probably. Yeah, and they they would never get in those days. They wouldn't have been on on uh, ESPN. Somebody came up, and I don't even remember who, who it was. Came up with the idea uh, that they could do a. They could dress the stadium in ESPN stuff after the. This was after the first banner stealing, I'm sure, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> but, but and then ESPN started sending out, you know, half dozen banners to schools who just wanted to pretend their game was on ESPN that week. <laughs> <laughs> that became popular in the Midwest, I know, and I can remember in 1981 well, or two. Even uh, I, I'm a graduate of DePaul University in Greencastle, a Division three school today. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Paul Wabash game was a big thing, and we got a hold of a fellow by the name of Ed Taylor who uh, who worked with uh, Ted Turner and actually put Ted Turner's Superstation on the air. He was the uplink in Douglasville, Georgia. But anyway, he had an uplink truck, and so we said, here's an idea. Let's just go to Green to I who was in Crawfordsville that year. Let's go to Crawfordsville, Indiana, and do the DePaul. Wabash Division Three football game and see what happens. Well, that's you know it didn't. We did it that year and the next year, and the alumni supported it and paid the bill. And now it has reached the stage where somebody, I want to say AXA or somebody like that, TV does that game every single year. And it's two tiny little schools. The total enrollment between the two schools doesn't reach four thousand. And but television captivates people. They get excited about it. And they've now built, you know, 
clubs all across the country and watch parties and so on, not only for the ball wall bash, but for any number of games. And now with the streaming capabilities, uh, which is you know, obviously what I'm thinking about these days, because those old-fashioned trucks and those big 18-wheelers are fast disappearing. They're never going to appear on a small campus. And they'll, I, I suspect they'll be disappearing from major games as well as technology continues to improve. Well, Bill, um, if if memory serves me correct, um, you not only had to get sponsors, but you also had to uh, get credibility by getting you know the big conferences to to sign on with you. And and I think it was the Big Ten kind of looked down their nose at this at this cable TV thing until they realized that. Um, through ESPN, I think uh, your biggest impact early was probably on college basketball. And all of a sudden, you know, schools like Bradley and Wichita State and so on, they're getting their games put on TV. People are watching and recruits are, are seeing those schools and going, well, I, th- I think they need a small forward at Bradley. I'll go there. And the Big Ten yeah. kind of went, oops, we we better get with the program. Yeah. Is that is that close to well, what it, happened? It's it's pretty close. The the actually the first conference that turned its nose up at ESPN was the Pac-10, which I think at the time was the Pac-9, maybe. I'm not sure whether they had reached 10 at that point. I went to a meeting on the way to a cable uh, conference because we were uh, talking to all of the conferences. And most of them said, yeah, yeah, right. If you can do it, well, come back and talk to us. But the big uh, Pac-12, uh, Pac-9, I went to their meeting at uh, Arizona State, and I was there probably four minutes after having flown all the way across the country. They said, you know, we've been thinking about this, and we're not really interested. Thank you for stopping by. Literally. And today, of course, they have their own network in the basement in their headquarters in San Francisco, and they are very pleased that ESPN pays them $40 billion a quarter or whatever it is, I think, and all kinds of money coming. One of the one of the uh, early interesting things that the Big Ten did, uh, obviously, and it was 19, I think it was started in 1984, Lauren Matthews and I, uh, by that time, I had left ESPN, and believe it or not, the Big Ten hired me as a consultant for four years. Early on, they didn't want to talk to us, and then they ended up hiring me, and they became part of, you'll all remember, the the uh, Big Monday when we had the Big East right. and the Big Ten, 7 to 9 o'clock. And uh, that lasted for quite a while. And that, that for years, for the first two or three years, was ESPN's highest-rated program. Of course, that was before... Even the first round of NFL games began late in the 80s. Hey, Bill. So it's 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 been an interesting evolution with all of the conferences, and I'm kind of fascinated today. Excuse me for interrupting, uh, uh, Jim, but now they're they're talking about UConn becoming a part of the Big 12, possibly. And I can remember when UConn was part of the Yankee Conference, and I used to broadcast <laughs> games in Soares, Connecticut. <laughs> so the evolution is amazing. I was going to say, we're here on the Sunshine Boys podcast, of course, with Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, our special guest, Bill Rasmussen, the man who founded ESPN. Bill, I, I think, uh, wasn't the, the first conference that really bought into this whole concept was Dave Gavitt when Dave was uh, at the Big East Conference? Right, that's correct. 
we actually, in 1970, right right around the time we were getting started, John Toner was the athletic director at the University of Connecticut, and Dave Gavitt was at uh, Providence College. Right. And I actually attended the meeting where they, uh, they Dave had really put together a meeting of coaches in New England and other I, I just kind of an idea meeting, and they held it at the University of Connecticut. So John Stone, uh, John Toner uh, invited me, and they they were talking about the Big East, and I can remember at this moment the grumbling about the NCAA restriction of you have to play as a conference two full years before you can qualify your champion to play in the postseason, and that was a big big deal, and they were you know grumbling, and of course. It wasn't but four or five years later when the Big East had six teams in the Elite Eight. <laughs> and I think it was 1985 or six. I don't remember the exact year, but they were a powerful, powerful conference. And Cabot uh, obviously deserves a lot of credit, for, uh, all the credit. For, it was his idea. He put it all together. And, and uh, to this day, several people still think that was one of the best basketball conferences put together, John Wooden and company notwithstanding. I have to tell you a funny funny story about John Wooden. He won all of his titles. In 1994, we were in the event for Sports Illustrated, and I had never met him. Uh, And we were sitting in just in kind of a little lounge area having a cup of coffee and a Danish in the morning, and he looked across and he said, oh, you know, I'm John Wooden. And I said, hi, I'm Bill Rasmus. And he said, you're that ESPN guy. And I said, yes, sir. Thinking he was going to say, what a wonderful idea, because basketball is now spread all across the country. It's 1994. By then, it was really big. And he said, you know what? What you did is the worst thing ever for college basketball. <laughs> I, I was stunned. I was stunned. I said, why? I, I, I just didn't understand. And he he talked about it. There's too much exposure. Too many people are seeing too many players. I think the bottom line, and I don't mean to be picking on him now since he has passed away, but I think he was saying, you know, I had my pick of recruits all across the country because nobody could see who else was playing. But now everybody sees everybody. <laughs> Kids can go to Syracuse or, or, you know, they can go to Syracuse or Tulane or wherever they want to go. But I it, – it, just interesting how different people react as as progress is made. Um, uh, some interesting. Go ahead. Bill, before you uh, before you founded ESPN, Bill, uh, you were already uh, a bit of a legendary character, Mr. Rasmussen. Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the mid '70s, um, you were communications director for the uh, New England Whalers. Uh, of the WHA, and uh, people would say, well, who cares about the WHA? Well, Bill, uh, you got to work with uh, Gordy Howe directly with yes, uh, Gordy Howe's wife uh, and Gordy Howe's sons. Um, well, what was that time like for you uh, with the Howe family? Well, it was it was really interesting. First of all, the fiery family, they were all in Houston, uh, in the early days of the WHA, and they decided to come to Colleen. Really decided that she could make a better deal in Art in Hartford. And when they came to Hartford, the interesting thing is she she was the agent for Gordy and Mark and Marty, the two boys who came 
that it was a three three player package, if you will. She went to Aetna Insurance and said these are the terms and this is what's gonna happen and so on. But the thing that I remember about it was the day they arrived I was called into Howard Baldwin's office and Colleen and Gordy and Howard Baldwin were there. He was the managing partner of the Whalers. And she said, Gordy's not gonna be part of this. Take go get him to play golf, take him wherever you want, but get him out of here. He's not doing any discussions, which I found really interesting. Gordy is a what was a witty guy. He was a lot of fun to be around. And so we went and played golf three days. Easy to get on a golf course when you say, I've got Gordy Howe here and he'd like to play your course, you know. That wasn't that was the problem at all. So we went out and played three courses he had never seen, never never any, anything. He shot three consecutive 75s. Really, wow. really disheartening for a hacker like me who could maybe get into the low 80s. And I played a lot of those courses before. But uh, he was uh, he was a very uh, very personable, a very uh, a fun person to be with. He was always always very self-deprecating. You know, he didn't really think very much of this stardom thing. Although all he had to do was step on the ice, and let, you could see the kids they just revered him, and and he made sure that anybody who maybe didn't quite understand the game understood it the Gordie Howway pretty quickly and, and he um he had a, a pretty exciting run through um through Hartford. But my time with the family ended when Gordy's wife, Colleen, called me on Memorial Day weekend nineteen seventy eight after the Whalers missed the playoffs, oddly enough, the only time they hadn't been in the playoffs in the short life of the WHA and she said uh, it was really kind of interesting uh, Bill, uh, this is Colleen. Uh, uh, I'm at the airport. I'm at, I didn't want to tell you this way, but Howard and I don't want you back. And uh, call him Monday. I've got to catch a plane. Goodbye. <laughs> and that was it. I was fired. I was done. Now, I don't know what an HR person today might say about that, but there'd probably be 17 lawyers lined up arguing about procedures. But anyway, that actually turned out to be a pretty good thing because that was the Memorial Day weekend. And by June 25th, we had this crazy idea of uh, putting sports on cable because I had been talking to try to get the Whalers on cable, and I knew there were five cable systems in Connecticut, the largest of which had 9,500 subscribers. I don't know how we ever assumed we would make any money with just those cable systems, but it was it was educational. And so by June 25th, we had this idea and called a press conference few people showed up. Most walked out before we finished. Uh, but one one young man, one young man from the Manchester Journal Inquirer, a local paper of some yeah, some prominence up there, and it's still around to this day. I had a call from him just a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of fact. This young man that appeared at that press conference, June 25th, 1978, is today the senior editor or some I, I don't know the newspaper terminology, but he's still at the same paper. And he wrote an interesting article from that one meeting about how we were going to ignite a cable explosion and how true and how prophetic it turned out to be for him. And uh, then that was on, Jan on June 25th. And on Bastille Day, July 14th, we incorporated the company. We were going ahead just like we were, you know, General Motors, I guess. But uh, we only had three or four of us, uh, my son Scott and a fellow by the name of Ed Egan, and uh, we incorporated, and off we went, and 
we called RCA and said uh, the the place where Ed Egan had his office was with United Cable in Plainville, Connecticut. <laughs> and uh, the general manager, the vice president, said, you know, there's this new thing coming along called a satellite. We don't know much about it, but here's the phone number. Why don't you give him a call? And I remember calling RCA in New York thinking, here I am, this little guy from the south side of Chicago. I've just been fired. Who's going to talk to me in New York? And then I had a brilliant thought, a brilliant moment of clarity. The person who answers the phone has no idea who I am. I'm just going to call and ask for information. She said, oh, yes, sir, just a minute. And then when I got to the satellite sales department and said I was interested in a 24-hour, uh, how do you do? Ira. Ira. Say it again? Ira. Ira. Uh, real chicken salad. Honey <laughs> mustard. Um, okay, excuse me. While Ira's ordering, go ahead, Bill. We'll just mute him there for a minute. Yeah, and... <laughs> and when I said 24 hours, he said, where are you in Connecticut? He said, and I told him, and he said, I'll be up there tomorrow morning. And he came up and explained that RCA had given up on ever hoping to sell 24 hours to one person. And they were parceling it out two hours here and five hours there and three hours there. He said, well, we've got a great rate for 24 hours a day. And here it is. And we said the next, we thought about it and we called him back the next morning and said, well, take one of those things. He said, one of what things? He said, I, I didn't know they called them transponders, but, you know, I, my education was a little lacking on the technical side. And he said, you mean a transponder? And I said, yep, one of those 24-hour ones we talked about. And his response was, you will? <laughs> he was as surprised as we were. We didn't ask how much. It, we didn't know where we were going to get the money. We knew what it was going to cost, $34,167 a month. And... <laughs> And uh, but we knew we didn't have to come up. We didn't have any program to put on it for a while, and they gave us a pretty good deal. And and actually, we had Getty financing before we ever had to make the first payment. So it was uh, it, it, all of the pieces just fell together. And I found that I found the I think the early thread that held it all together is everybody's a sports fan. Uh, people want to be they want to get their oar in, even if they're not an athlete. Here was an opportunity to be in sports television, and uh, and even to this day, ESPN uses the their their mission statement is just six words long to, to serve sports fans anytime, anywhere. And if you keep that in mind and you keep that focus and you think about what ESPN does, that, that those six words say it all. Pretty if much. It's not ready, yeah, if it's not ready for a sports fan, we don't want to do it. You know, plenty of people will tell us about wars and elections and fights and bridge explosions. You know, building buildings exploding or whatever it might be, but ESPN's only concerned about sports, and and they've done a pretty good job of it. Well, with your starting, my friend, uh, Bill, you're getting into a new venture now, which um, is very pretty, you know, forward thinking. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your new project? Well, it's something called Hometown Networks, uh, and. In this era of technology, now I sound like I'm a technological wizard. I'm still no more <laughs> no more technology-minded than when I learned the word geosynchronous orbit. That was a big word for me back in the day. <laughs> uh, obviously, today, streaming events has become a big thing. Uh, ESPN last year streamed 82 billion minutes of sports. Now, see, when we started out, we were looking for 8,760 hours of broadcasting, and everybody said you know, there aren't enough sports in the world to fill 24 hours a day. Just for perspective, 82 billion minutes translates into 156,000 years 
of 8760 <laughs> hours. So I guess there's enough scores to go around. So anyway, the, uh, we have, we have discovered, and I was invited to a demo, a demo in New York last January, I guess it was, on a small company in Jersey City, who has come up with a solution, a streaming solution that's very affordable for high schools, for small businesses, for chambers of commerce, for uh, churches, for automobile dealers, for for any number of reasons, and. It's a single camera solution that a 10-year-old can produce a game with the touch of his finger on an iPad. It it is absolutely incredible. The uh it's a, and it's high definition as well. So we think that it's an opportunity, it's very affordable. We think it's an opportunity for high school kids to in effect build a resume for their for those scouts that are out looking to see what the next who the next stars are going to be if they're being recruited. I happen to have a grandson who was a freshman this year at Gettysburg College. And uh, I was talking to the, to them and uh, about all of this, and they said, well, you know, we always try to do the streaming, and most kids use their iPad or FaceTime or uh, I don't even know what all those words are. But this is a literally a solution that uh, any school in, in the country could afford or if they want to do it, and the quality of the production is absolutely amazing. I have no idea how it works, any more than I have an idea how television pic- pictures fly through the air, much less in color, but they do. And these guys, and uh, they were a, a surveillance company and decided to branch out and see what other applications there might have and I think this is going to be a huge, huge success, and and it will give exposure and coverage to just thousands and thousands more student athletes at the high school level, the way ESPN has now done has done over the years at the college level and professional level. So we're we're excited about it, and uh, we want to invite anybody. Uh, we have a website that's just, I mean, it, it probably still has the new car feel to it because it's just been up for a couple of days. It's called hometownnetworks.tv. Okay, and, and we uh, will have that information uh, in the post so that uh, that you can just go ahead uh, in the uh, yeah. in this post there, and, there. and you'll click on it and it'll take you right to it. Yep, it'll be there and we think it's going to be exciting. Um, uh, we have meetings all over the country. I, I, think, I think it's the kind of thing that I don't know who the next Budweiser is who's going to take advantage of this kind of an audience. Budweiser certainly uh, was the largest sports advertiser before ESPN came on, and they still are to this day, as far as I know. They just spend a lot more money at it, and that'd be fine, too. If advertisers want to spend more money on hometown networks, that's that's a nice byproduct. But the primary primary thrust is to give a very affordable tool to anybody who wants to stream any kind of information, be it news, sports, sales, chambers of commerce, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, at my, at my age, I'm having a lot of fun doing another project. This is this is exciting. And uh, people talk about ESPN, and ESPN was certainly exciting, and it is to me to this day, but it's grown way beyond me. And now they, you know, they put the... Uh, dedicated the flagpole to me back in 2010, which I thought was really kind of, uh, that was, George Bodheimer arranged that. That was 
very, very nice of them. And then I got a call earlier this month and said, guess what? We're redoing that whole park. If you remember the park like area, Ira, you were up there. I'm sure you spent some time. Yes. yes. And they're redoing that whole area. And so now they're going to replace the plaque with a granite slab. And I said, people think I'm buried there. <laughs> so, so anyway, we're, you know, so I still have some ties with ESPN, but Hometown Networks will, I think it, it could be something that uh, that is going it, to, it, it's a different kind of a business than what ESPN does because this is geared to just being, you know, in whatever town it might be. Enid, Oklahoma can have its own hometown networks and on there on it with all of the various links for Enid, Oklahoma. They could be talking school, high school sports. They could talk private schools, public schools. Doesn't make any difference. They could talk car dealer sales. They can talk chamber of commerce meetings or church worship services, and it's their own hometown network. That's what we're that's what we're we're building. Well, you know, Bill is... almost said hoping to build. I shouldn't say that. We are building. Right. I'm I'm always on the positive side. There you go. You know, it's it's funny because it's it's almost like everything old is new again because you know, yes. all of that stuff is what the is what cable television was originally built for. And exactly, they got away exactly from right. it. They got away mm-hmm. from it and uh now you're filling the void that uh that, that they got away from. Um it's Bill interesting, um, it's interesting the evolution and you you just mentioned an interesting thing in uh, with all of your uh, presence in Tampa, a couple of years ago, I was at a uh, uh, game, a hockey game. Uh, I don't know who they were playing. I guess they were playing the Washington. Oh, oh, I remember Alex Ovech. Ovech, Ovech I can't Ovechkin. be a play-by-play on Ovechkin. Ovechkin. Play-by-play on yeah. Anyway, we were we were up the press box, and I hadn't been aware, but ESPN at that time, maybe they still do, had a small office in Tampa with just three people for their bowl game. Is that bowl mm-hmm. game still around? Yeah. Anyway, yes. anyway, one, yeah, one of the one of the young fellows, was kind of dancing as I was being introduced, and he was kind of dancing back and forth like he couldn't wait to see me because to be his turn because he had a question to ask me, and and uh, finally it was his turn. And he said, oh, you know, oh, Mr. Rasmussen, oh. You have to tell me. I, I'm really, you know, I'm the, and he was really almost stammering, just like that. And he said, <laughs> "You got to tell, you got to tell me. How did you, how did you introduce ESPN? How did you market it? Was, did you start with a constant contact campaign or what?" And I looked at him and I said, "What? Constant contact? Constant contact?" <laughs> and before I could say anything, his his boss slapped him on the shoulder and said. Are you serious? They didn't have the internet in those days. They they had to rely on faxes for everything. And I slapped him on the shoulder and said, "No, we didn't have fax either. We didn't have computers. You know what our most technological, advanced uh, piece of equipment was for communicating was a selectric typewriter." And I got three blank looks. They had never heard of a selectric typewriter. That was that was our technology of the day. And. Uh, uh, it's hard to believe. It's hard for anyone who wasn't there to see. I mean, you can tell them the story, or they yeah. can go back and read history. But unless they've really experienced it, it's really hard for some folks to to understand. It was something of a minor miracle that we were able to park trucks and shoot cameras and get pictures and make it work. Well, Bill, uh, uh, I, I got a question for Henderson uh, and, and Jim. Uh, 
And tell me if I'm off base here, guys. But you know, I, I got to meet uh, I got to meet Bill, um, and uh, and now we talked to him on this call. And uh, Joe, what comes across to me is uh, the man's humility. Uh, you know, self-deprecation. Um, and I, I just find it startling, uh, Jim, uh, somebody that uh, has been a seminal figure, I think, in, uh, in, in the whole communications industry, uh, you know, in the past century. He, he's on the list, a uh, short list. Uh, I, I just find, um, I find Bill's humility very refreshing, Jim. I don't think there's any question uh, about it, Ira. I mean, uh, he... He has founded what, in essence, is the template for uh, for sports going forward. And um, as I said, one of the luxuries I had was being there early in the days when uh, when we used to get those checks from Getty, and we're very happy to get them. Uh, and and more to the point, um, to have people like Chris Berman, who probably harassed poor Bill. Uh, about the NFL to the point where we really have to do the draft. We really have to do the draft. We really have to do the draft. We really have to do the draft to the point where I'm sure Bill wanted to get him. Just, you know, we'll do something. Just get out of my office and leave me alone. Um, but they've, you know, it, it was a, it was a progress. And, and, and honestly, he is without question, an amazing personality, but you know what? One of the things that I can say this as someone, and again, it's, I, I, Today is the first day, honest to God, I met Bill. Uh, but one of the things that Bill did amazingly, and I can say this without question, I'll, he can speak for himself, is he hired wonderfully gifted people, all of whom were very good at working with other people. It was not. It was fun to work with ESPN because the people you worked with had your back and always were looking forward, and they were always forward-thinking people. Well, you know, Jim, when you say that, I several years ago I was in Dallas after ABC Radio had been taken over and became ESPN Radio, and mm-hmm. the station manager in Dallas had been with ABC, and I, I pointedly asked him the question that's kind of along the lines that you were talking, and I said, tell me what it was like when ABC was here and what's the difference and he said, with ABC, he said, I can do that really easily. He said, with ABC, it was don't rock the boat with ESPNs. It was try everything. If it doesn't work, that's okay. Move on to the next one. Uh, so it was a totally different attitude, and I think that's what, what engendered that kind of feeling, that everybody worked with everybody. You know, we did that first draft that you referred to, Jim. You know, we had for graphics. Our, we had I, there was some machine that could produce a color slide. We had 256 slides of what Chris and everybody else thought would cover at least the top draft picks that year. And whenever a name came up in New York, of course, a lot of people thought it was the silliest thing ever invented by mankind to do the draft. But when the name came up, we put a slide up and say, you know, this is so and so tackle six three, you know, 258 pounds from such and such. That was that was the whole show. That was now today when they do the NFL draft, it's prime time programming and it's videos and I mean it's just a it's a huge production because of the technical capability. But it's the same basic principle that they had that very first show when Berman was sitting there and having forgotten the hotel it was in New York, but it was not a it was not a made for prime time show the first time around. 
<laughs> Joe Henderson's got some questions. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, uh, Bill, um, looking into the future, especially in light of, of your hometown project, uh, been a lot of talk how ESPN uh, is losing a lot of subscribers in the millions and the fracturing of the cable TV uh, market now with Fox Sports One and, and you know, other competitors that uh, look, at least for the time being, to be viable, to, especially given the enormous rights fees ESPN has paid out. Do you foresee any trouble down the road for, for ESPN for, for what you created, or are they positioned well enough, you think, to weather whatever storms ahead? I think they'll weather the storms ahead because of the very thing that we are talking about. Uh, they have reacted from a technology point of view to everything that, that comes along. Remember when we started, it was all broadcast television. When the, when we talked about Sports Center, we were told, why would you do a sport? Why would you do a half hour show opposite the evening news shows? The big three networks have 93% of the audience. Who's going to watch? I said the other 7%. Well, today, those other three, those big three, uh, with the evolution back then, we only had 12 channels on, on virtually every TV set in the country. Uh, today, those same three uh, news shows in the evening get something in the 12 to 15 percent range of the audience because it's all so fractured. And what's happening is cable, obviously, is a hardware business out with ditch witches and digging and hooking things up and laying Fios cable or whatever all that stuff is. But now with streaming coming along, uh, I just mentioned 82 billion minutes that the ESPN streamed last year. Who knows what it's going to be this year? They have reacted to every technological change along the way, and everybody will lose the, the so-called cord cutters, the cable people that are going away. But it seems that they are headed to the point where let's let's say whatever the package is that your local provider, never mind cable system, it could be anybody. Your local provider will say, look, I'll give you uh, four channels that you really want and get all the ESPN and such and such and such, and it'll be twenty nine ninety five a month or nineteen ninety five a month. And they're already doing the OTT over the top OTT transmission to people who, who want it that way. One of the big arguments about cable TV is my cable bill is uh, you know $117 a month and I don't watch 90% of the channels. Well, if you could get the other 10% of the channels in a way that was very simple, from your, your same way you always get them, really, you just sit down and tune them in and it only costs you $19.95 a month for ESPN, you'd probably pay it. And so they're exploring all kinds of means of distributing the news because at the at the end of the day, what is more unifying in this country than sports? I mean, you might be on one, you might be cheering for the Bucks versus the Giants or the Giants versus the Bucks, but you're still all sports fans. And that's ESPN's mission. I mean, they from time to time they root for themselves a whole lot, but they deliver what they say they're going to deliver. And however, whatever the means and uh, the technological means of delivering that information, that picture, that score are going to be, they'll 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 be leaders. On their 30th anniversary, and I found this absolutely fascinating. I was up there for the 30th anniversary back in what would that be? I guess 09. Mm -hmm. 09. Yep. Yeah, they had. We went on the air on September 7, 1979, with 80 employees. 
40 of the employees that were there that first year were still there 30 years later. Can you wow. imagine the, the wow. value of the knowledge that they have gained? You know, 40 man years of men and, men and women years <laughs> of knowledge built on that campus in Bristol. That's phenomenal. How many? And they are creative people. They're all creative. They all they're creative and they're dedicated. One of the things that, and Ira, when you're there, I don't I don't know the Digital Center One. Did you see that big wall of of video that I I think it's 144 different screens and they have production assistants sitting there watching and and recording balls and strikes and low low out low and away a cutter outside yeah. fastball high yeah. end. It's just it's fascinating. Where else? What other dedication? What other? How can anybody compete with that? I guess is what I would say. You, you know, you get these people, and I remember a reporter was once asked him. I don't know if you got into to talk to those people, but they one reporter was up there and he said, "Why would you do that? Why do you have to record every pitch? Because it develops the pattern, it tells the story, and they can feed all this information to announcers. It's just it's fascinating." I was at a Monday night, uh, I'm sorry, a Sunday night baseball game at Yankee Stadium earlier this year, and they had two 18-wheelers and 90 employees to do one baseball game. And wow. as I was going through and uh, given, being given the tour of the trucks and so on, a, a door opened in front of one of the vans. <laughs> young, well, not so young anymore, but to me, a young man. He said, "Bill, good to see you." And I hadn't seen him in I don't know how many years. Didn't even remember his name. And I said, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And he's, you know, he's sitting and he's got a console and there's all of these little itty bitty pictures all over this console. And he said, I'm the archive provider or something for the game. And I said, tell me what that means. <laughs> Apparently ESPN has, and I knew this, they have digitized over a billion sports highlights from all, all across the spectrum of sports. And his job is if the announcer says something and the producer says in his mind, get that for me, you know, they've got some something that ties to it, he can recall in something like three-tenths of a second any highlight from a billion stored highlights. Who's going to compete with that? How can anybody compete what with a, that? What an archive. Hey, Joe, Joe, uh, Joe remembers, Bill, Joe remembers that um, – there have been some competitors over the years, right, Joe? Remember uh, CNN uh, had Nick Charles and, and Hickman? Um, oh, yeah. It wasn't a bad yeah, it wasn't a bad show. It was a 30-minute show, maybe at, I think, about 11 o'clock at night, Joe. Um, and, uh, you know, it lasted, but then at the end they realized that you can't compete with ESPN, Joe, and I think FS1 is going to find out the same thing. Well, it goes back to what Bill said is is the uh, the mission statement for ESPN. You know, they concentrate on sports, nothing but sports. And CNN is, you know, uh, has a wider range. And right. so that, that doesn't surprise. I, I'm not so sure that Fox Sports 1 can't carve out a niche. But that's uh, that's a debate for another podcast because this is this has been fascinating um, listening uh, to this and and to be with uh, a man who seriously and I don't Ira you know me and Jim I don't give this word out lightly but this man is a legend. Well, there's no question that. about it. And, uh, Thank you, Joe. 
And uh, Bill, uh, final questions from everybody down the line. Joe, you got a final question for Bill? Well, not so much a question at this point, but just a uh, kind of a thank you. Um, while you were talking, um, I realized that so far this season, at least the games I haven't been to, um, that I've either attended or watched on TV, every University of South Florida football game, and and the rest of them are going to be on. Back in the day, that would have, you know, even if USF had had football back then, the notion of them being on TV would have been ridiculous. Um, but uh, you've, it's made it uh, possible for the the non-traditional universities like like USF and and UCF and so on to to uh, have dreams of, of playing with the big boys, and that all goes to ESPN. Thank you. You're welcome, Joe. I, I, I'm reminded when you were were talking about that when we went on the air, the networks were doing about uh, 25 games a year. They would do a game or two games, and unless you were a fan of Michigan, Notre Dame, Texas, Oklahoma, UCLA, USC, etc., Alabama, Auburn, those were they, they, basically that's all it was on. And I remember even in uh, even in the early 80s. As uh, we were talking to the conferences, they were talking about well, each team is limited to three appearances on the network television. So uh, network television. So if you think about that, if those major schools all had three appearances, there wasn't room for anybody else like USF or any or or anybody. And that's really kind of what what opened it all up. Well, I, I have uh, I have the unique I have the unique perspective of being around before the networks. Uh, and, in World War II, we didn't have any television. Uh, no embedded reporters, no black and white. I mean, we got a 15-minute highlight from the War Department on Saturday afternoon at the movie, the local movie theater. ABC didn't become a network until 1950 when I was in college. So I've, I've in effect, lived television. I've seen it all grow, and I've seen the networks rise and become very egotistical and then be slapped down by cable, and then now cable is facing the cord cutters and Streaming is coming along, and so it's been an interesting journey, and it's been educational and fun to watch. And uh, every now and then I get to talk about some of these things with gentlemen like you, and it's it's kind of fun to reminisce and, uh, and think about all of it. But through it all, it's still, you know, it, the new project has my attention now, and it's pretty exciting. Ira, any final thoughts from you uh, to Bill? Yeah, just a quick question uh, to Bill. Sure, Somebody, somebody with his unique perspective, uh, Bill. This is um, this is a situation that's uh, getting a lot of attention, and uh, I, I just want uh, your thoughts on it. Um, it, it appears that uh, ratings for the National Football League, Bill, uh, are dropping uh, sometimes considerably um, across all platforms. And uh, why, why, Bill, in 2016? Um, is this happening, and, and is this a trend that the NFL uh, needs to worry about? I, you know, I, I've, I've had the good fortune of knowing all three commissioners, from Pete Rozelle and Paul Tagliabue and the current commissioner, Roger. But I really haven't followed all of their machinations, if you will. I think for some reason uh, the ebb and flow, and maybe it's the quality of play at some team, the fans just stay away. Who knows? I'm uh, I'm a big fan of all sports, but baseball is the one that I grew up with. It 
played and umpired and all those kinds of things. And each of them goes seems to go through a, a period of uh, lagging attendance. And they sometimes it's self-inflicted wounds, baseball with their strikes back in the 90s. It took them a long time to recover from that. And I, I really have, have not followed the NFL closely enough to even, even guess what might be happening. But so it's just like every yeah, that's why that's what I'm saying, and I think all of these sports go through a cyclical uh, up and down, and 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 what's what causes it? I don't know. Is it a is it a decision by the commissioner? Is it a team is so dominant of the Patriots? Is everybody's figure why are we doing this? The Patriots are going to win anyway. I mean, or whoever Denver it doesn't make any difference. And and some you know in this day of social media and so many so many other op- entertainment options available, maybe it's just wow somebody looked up from the NFL and said hey I didn't even know this was happening I think I'm going to try that next weekend instead of going to the game I, I you know it might be something as simple as that and it's it's uh, you know <laughs> I mentioned before about being around all of television's life I've seen a lot of things change and a lot of trends change over time and. Uh, even even the automobiles we drive today, you, you know, were, would have been dreamed of years ago, and and lots of lots of dollars have been lost in the automobile industry betting on something continuing, and it didn't happen that way. So, I, I would, I, without any specific information, I would guess it's just cyclical. We'll see what happens. Thanks, Bill. Bill, uh, thank you very much for being with us here on the Sunshine Boys podcast. Once again. Um, Tell us how to get in touch with your uh, network, your new streaming network, and because uh, I know that a lot of people are going to want to get there, and probably that's where all those viewers are going to be going from the NFL to be headed to your network. <laughs> that's great. Well, they want to see the NFL stars of tomorrow. Come and see right, them in high exactly. school. <laughs> hometown, hometown networks. TV. Okay, that's hometown, hometown networks. TV, and I'll I'll get. Uh, you know, we'll have from time to time we have press releases and announcements concerning, you know, who's who's joining and who's on board and so on. And if you folks would like, I'll make sure that you you know you yes, give me some place to send those. We'll list. include you on the we'll include you on the list. Please include us on the list, and we'll make sure that uh, that people know what's going on. But anyway, we appreciate it, Bill. Um, it's been a great having you, the founder of ESPN Film, Bill Rasmussen, and you know, if you do see Bill, you know, if you do see Fitz, tell him I owe him a banner and I promise I'll get it back to him someday. <laughs> okay, uh, Jim, great. Well, it's been great talking to all of you, Jim and Joe and Ira. Ira catching up after a long time. You wrote a lot of stuff about us, about ESPN there a few years ago, and it's uh, it's been interesting to, to watch this whole evolution. I really appreciate the three of you taking the time this morning, and anytime you want to chat, uh, be happy to chat with you. I appreciate it very much. Bill, Bill, did you get that article that I uh, wrote? I did. I did. And it's, uh, uh, Jerry Jerry got that to me, and that was an exhaustive. You you spent a lot of time writing that one. You spent a lot of time in Bristol, and it was, uh, and I thought, very well done. Uh, a lot of things. I didn't, you know, we chatted, and I, I didn't realize we had so many, had chatted about so many things, but, but there there it is. It was, fun. It, was, it was fun reading, and uh, I, I'm not I'm not going to throw it away. Believe me, I, I'll I'll think about that one. And what I want to read about 
you know, that's only what was was that? I didn't look at the date. Is that about ten years ago, Ira? About, about ten years ago. Ten years ago. Yeah. Yep. See if I keep that. Look, think what it's going to be like when I look back at twenty-five years. That's going to be we're going to be reading ancient history, but it'll be interesting. <laughs> Well, there you go. Jim, we're going to be hard-pressed to have a better, uh, more fascinating guest than this, Jim. No, I think we this are. goes right to the Hall of Fame automatically. Uh, a, <laughs> All right. Well, you, you guys. You, you, you broke the mold, Bill. Now we're, now we're you know, back to slouches again. But uh, <laughs> it's, I it's, doubt that now, but I appreciate your comments. You guys have a great day and fun talking to all of you, Ira and Joe and Jim. And as I say, let's talk again at your convenience whenever – Whatever we're doing, we'll talk Hometown Networks and tell you when we have a thousand of something going and watch it grow the way ESPN has grown. Outstanding. Well, Thank thanks, you. Bill. That's Bill thanks, Rasmussen, guys. the man who started in 1979 ESPN here on the Sunshine Boys podcast with Joe Henderson and Ira Kaufman. Hope you've enjoyed this very special edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. And I'm Jim Williams, your host from SportsTalkFlorida.com. And uh, real quick, Henderson and uh, Ira, uh, your social media so that people can get in touch with you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, the initial J Henderson Tampa, T-A-M-P-A. Ira. Uh, you can get me on Twitter, uh, Jim, at, uh, at iKaufman76. Uh, Jim, I could listen to Rasmussen all day long. He, he won't run out of stories. Nope, absolutely true. And Bill, you, we will excuse, make... excuse me, Jim. I can give you one. Uh, you mentioned social media. I've got uh, ESPNFounder.com. I forgot to tell you about. Oh, okay, yeah. By uh, all see, I, I'm this I'm this great promoter, and I forgot my own my own website, <laughs> ESPNFounder.com, or or at Bill underscore ESPN Twitter handle. Wow. Okay. And, Absolutely. And, and, and I figured out, it took me a lot of years, but I figured out how to do that Twitter stuff. So, Well, there you go. <laughs> we will start following you on Twitter. And uh, the other thing in this post, so that uh, everybody knows once uh, we get it up, we'll make sure that uh, all Bill, all of that information is in there, as well as your new venture with uh, with the streaming service. So that'll all be there when we um, when we post this uh, next week, because we're going to do a lot of uh, promotion of it on our radio stations. And again, okay. thanks, Bill, for joining us, Ira and uh, and Joe, and we will uh, get together next time. But first, thanks. this was our special edition of Sunshine Boys Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. 